Today's reading comes from Exodus in the Old Testament and then Mark, the Gospel of Mark in the New Testament. Exodus 20, beginning at verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in in them, but he rested on the seventh day. And therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And then from Mark chapter 2, beginning at verse 23. One Sabbath Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. And then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Good morning, uh, church. My name is Matthew. I haven't met you yet. I serve as the pastor here at Christ City. Um, A couple of things that I want to share before we get into uh, into the message more deeply. Um, You are probably aware that uh, three miles exactly due east of here, there's a rally of white nationalists and white supremacists. Last year they rallied in Charlottesville, Virginia, and this year they've come here. And the message that they're announcing, it's one that is antithetical to the gospel of Christ. Their words and their actions are uh, deadly. They are oppressive and have their origins in the kingdom of Satan, not in the kingdom of God. Their presence in our city is angering, it's disturbing, and in fact it's traumatizing. Um, I've been praying for our city and for for you, church, throughout this week. Um, God's consistent message throughout the scriptures is that all people are created in God's image, and any message that says otherwise, any message in speech, any message in system, in order, or in oppression is far removed from God's plan and purpose, and we as followers of Jesus... We must work, we must preach, we must pray, we must protest, we must advocate, all led by the Holy Spirit to see God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Particularly uh, for my white brothers and sisters, we have to be open. We have to open our own souls and thoughts to the Spirit and search where we've been complicit in white supremacy. And in our complacency, we've allowed sins reign in systems and in our hearts to continue. And we have to repent, asking forgiveness, and set about the ongoing work of ordering our lives around God's kingdom. So my brothers and sisters of color, you are courageous. I'll never know the weight that you carry being a person of color in this country. But to the degree that I and this church is able, may we bear that burden with you living in community, and living into Jesus' commands to bear one another's burdens. And for all of us today, um, already we've done some of this. We're going to pray, we're going to sing, and we're going to open the scriptures, and we're going to celebrate the work of God in our midst. Because um, white nationalists, 
They don't thwart the work of God in this city, and neither do they work do they thwart the work of God at Christ City Church. So we will continue to move forward. Let me pray for us again. Spirit, do your work. Do your work in us. Do your work in us as a church. Be, be uh, tender with us, but uh, be, uh, be uh, brutal with us in places where you need to to bring about conviction and correction for those of us that have been complicit. God, I pray that you would bring your spirit of comfort for those that carry a weight in this country that can feel too heavy to bear. God, I pray that by the power of your spirit that you will be everything that we need for you to be in this moment and on this day. We pray for uh, your protection over those that are engaged in the counter-protests. And Father, pray that they would display to the world what it means to be a community together. That's bound together in love and care and compassion. That they would undermine the machinery of hate and violence that's at work. God, I pray that we as a church, that we would look to you and that we would labor for your kingdom, even in this place, even in this very school and in this neighborhood, God. And I pray that you would guide us and that you would lead us. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Thank you guys for that. Um, I don't have an easy transition, so I'm just going to jump in. Grace, please. Have you, have you ever been in an argument um, with someone about a topic that it, it mattered to you, but the argument itself, it was actually sort of an argument and missing the point? Uh, anybody? I don't know. You guys probably don't argue. It's probably just me. It sort of gets wrapped up in stuff. Um, so just uh, I'll kind of share this. At different points in my life, I've actually been an NBA fan. Um, so sort of to different degrees, um, sort of off and on over the years. Never been a huge fan, more of a sort of a fair weather fan, uh, but I follow. When I was growing up, I watched Jordan play. I remember the first time that I saw LeBron play at Reunion Arena in Dallas. Uh, lived in California for a decade. During that decade, Kobe sort of reigned supreme in the NBA. My wife's uh, family, you guys may know, is uh, from Miami. And so there uh, was a long time where her uncle Danny in particular, he was a huge Miami Heat fan. And so he would call me a lot uh, when um, Miami was good. Uh, and then, um, he, you know, he would tell me and he would want to talk about it. And then LeBron left and I haven't heard from Danny uh, <laughs> much since then. Uh, I don't get calls from him quite as often. But, but I follow the game, albeit from a distance. Some of you guys know I'm a bit more of a boxing fan. But... Um, I found a side hobby related to the NBA, and it's watching people debate who's the greatest basketball player of all time. I'm sure there's probably opinions in the room. Anybody? No, nobody? Some, Jordan, some, get some, anybody? LeBron, some people got this. This is, I, I love this. Um, and it's all, it always sort of boils down to this, right? Like, is it, is it Jordan or is it LeBron? And you kind of go, go back and forth on the LeBron side of the equation. The thing is, like, LeBron's going to finish his career with more minutes played. He is probably going to finish with more points than Jordan. He is going to have a higher average in rebounds and assists per game. He's going to end up playing in more finals and more Olympics, by the way. I don't know if you you know, kind of keeping track of that uh, than, than Jordan. And he actually may end up, it's, it, it, maybe, maybe not, but he will probably end up with more all-star games and may end up with more all-star MVPs than Jordan. That's sort of the LeBron side. On the Jordan side of it, then there's Michael. 
I don't have to say his last name, right? It's just Michael. Uh, and Michael edges LeBron currently on career points and points per game. He edges LeBron on uh, almost every defensive category he edges him on. Um, Michael, by the way, he had 31 games of 50 points or more. LeBron's had 11. It's nice. But it's not 31. <laughs> My word. Um, and the, although LeBron has played in eight NBA Finals, which is amazing compared to Michael six, in those eight, LeBron is three and five, whereas Michael is six and oh. Um, and so you just sort of, like I had some hissing, like he used to kind of go back and forth, it's back and forth. And then when this thing happens, like there's always sort of this one guy that sort of jumps in and he wants to talk about Kobe and he's like, well, LeBron's got three rings, but Kobe's got four. And then that's fantastic. And there's always like a smaller, ver you know, percentage of people that's like four, ah, Tim Duncan's got five. And you're like, Tim Duncan, how is he even in this conversation? You know, it's like, and there's always like the one old guy in the room and he's always in the room. It's not online because these guys are like, I don't know, how do you get onto the book face or, you know, like whatever the thing is. Like there's always some old guy that's like, ah, Bill Russell played 13 seasons. He has 11 championships. How are you guys even trying to argue over who's captain of the JV football team? You know, like it's an endless and, you know, so this debate, it just becomes endless about a game that so many of us really love and appreciate. And if we're not careful, we'll actually miss the beauty of uh, every great player in every era that has uh, been brought to the court, even if Michael reigns above them all. <laughs> you preach, you can say what you want, but... <laughs> There, there can actually be a way of understanding um, our approach to the Sabbath where it's like our conversation around LeBron and Michael. A day that's intended for rest and reflection, a day that's intended for healing and for worship, it can be similarly mired in this sort of back and forth debate. And so, so much so that we actually miss the meaning and the purpose of the day altogether. There's some within the Christian tradition that we, that we uh, disagree even on which day the Sabbath should occur. Some of you may be familiar with or even have history in the Seventh-day Adventist tradition. It's a beautiful and rich tradition in the Christian family in which views Saturday as the day in which Christians should worship. This view stems from Christianity's early roots in Judaism, and Saturday was a day of the week in which Jews worshipped, and so Saturday should be the Sabbath day for Christians as well. Now, however, in the earliest days of Christianity, Sunday was the day when Christians gathered. The shift from Saturday worship to Sunday in the early, in the first century was actually quite a dramatic one. And uh, people, they don't often change their days of worship. However, that's what we see when we look back and we see first century Jewish converts to Christianity. They began worshiping on Sunday as a day to, to recognize that it was on that day that Jesus was resurrected. And so they gathered on that day for Sabbath. There might be others in the room. Uh, some of you may even actually, like, you have to work on Sunday and Saturday for that matter. And you're like, well, what does that mean for my Sabbath? You begin to wonder if Sabbath keeping, of taking a day apart from work in order to worship the Lord, is it, is it actually even possible for you? Because the day that's set aside for such activities takes place on a day where you just have other obligations. It's over doctors or first responders or service workers. What does the Sabbath mean for you? especially if it's bound up in a specific day, Saturday or Sunday. 
And what I want to say is that if we continue to go round and round about the right mechanics of what God is demanding from us, when he tells us in the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. If we just focus on making sure we don't go into the office on the right day, uh, we will miss completely the purpose that God has in mind when he created the Sabbath. And that purpose... The main reason for the Sabbath was so that we might remember who we are in light of God and that we might rest in who God is in us. We're in uh, week two of a five-week series on, on the Sabbath, a series that we've entitled Sabbath, God's Rhythm for Healing and Holiness. I stated last week our aim in the series is that you and I would begin to see the Sabbath, a time set apart to remember who God is and who we are in Him, that we begin to see this as an antidote to the work idols in our lives and especially the ways uh, that our relationship with work and rest, how it's had ill effects on our identities. And my prayer, my honest-to-goodness prayer for you and for me uh, is that we would remember um, who we are, that we would be captivated by this work-rest rhythm that God puts forward and that we would see it as evidence of God's grace to us and care for us and that we would be shaped by this pattern of work and rest. And I want that for you. And, and, and I want it for me, not just so that we can live lives of balance or so that we can have a good, healthy sort of work-life boundaries, both of which are important. I want this for a richer and a deeper reason for us, church. I want for us to be shaped by Sabbath-keeping so that we might fall m more in love with the goodness of God, not just to find good balance. I want this so that we might have our identities rooted and established in his love towards us rather than having our identities shaped by our productivity and our movement up the rungs of the employment ladder. When, we, when God instituted the rhythm of Sabbath in the Ten Commandments, he began in verse 8 by saying, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. This, this phrase of, of keeping it holy Holy, it, it means, literally it means set apart or distinct. We often think of holy and holiness when we think of it, we think of pure or we think of pious. But when God uses holy here, he's saying that this day is one that's to be set apart. It's to be approached differently because it has a different purpose. The regular rhythms of our days of the week, those rhythms, they're to be broken on the Sabbath day. The things that you do throughout the week, that you do during the week, you don't do those same things on the Sabbath. The routines that you have through the week, that you break those routines on the Sabbath. Maybe foods that you don't eat during the week, that you actually have those foods on the Sabbath. And whatever is the normal approach to life and to living, to eating, to sleeping, to rest, to working, to relating, the Sabbath day is to be a day where those patterns are broken and another pattern takes shape. The Sabbath is to be holy, is to be set apart and distinct. Last week we mentioned that the word Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat, which just means to cease or to stop. Most often it means to stop working, which is the primary function of the other days that, of the week that the week takes on. And this rhythm, um, this uh, rhythm of interruption that is housed in the Sabbath, it's to be embodied so that we can see that the Sabbath day is to be holy. It's to be set apart and distinct from the other days. 
When we look at how the Sabbath um, has been practiced, both in a Jewish context in the Old Testament and then carried forward in a Christian context in the New, we begin to see two uh, behaviors emerge. We see remembrance and we see celebration. We see remembrance and we see celebration. First, remembrance. One of the consistent Sabbath patterns that we can see in the Bible is that of remembrance. And what is remembered is who God is and what he's done. When God is giving the commandments, even um, in the giving of the fourth commandment regarding the Sabbath, he's couching it in who he is and what he's done. Verse 9, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And then in verse 11, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. You see, in verse 9 of Exodus 20, the writer is going to great pains to ensure that the audience understands who it is that is delivering the commandment. And he uses the phrase, Lord your God. Now, two things that are happening here. First is the title, Lord. Uh, in your Bibles, I know you guys may not be, you know, you're looking on your phones or on the screen. Uh, I can't see the screen. And so it's not, uh, you can't see it from here. But when you look in your Bibles, um, there's a, a designation, a typeface that's happening there. You see, the, the title Lord in your Bible, it's in all capitals. And in the English Bible, when you see it in all capitals in the Bible, what that means is that in the original language, it's the proper Hebrew name for God that's being used. So let me get a little technical for you a minute, um, so stick with me. Um, so a quick Hebrew lesson. In Hebrew, there are different names and different words used in the Old Testament for God. Some of them carry very, very formal connotations. Um, other times, it's more informal words that are used for God. We have a hard time translating these differences in English. So one of the ways that we've done this uh, quite ingeniously is by translating them all as either God or as Lord. But what we might do is change the typeface in the Bible to identify the name, not as the more generic version of God, but as the more personal version, the personal name of God. And so when your Bibles, when you see Lord in all caps, that is the name that God gave himself when he identifies himself. And the Hebrew name that he uses is Yahweh. And it is to, no, to connote a very personal and intimate aspect of who God is, as opposed to a more transcendent, distant God. And so in verse 9, six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to Yahweh, to the personal God who knows you and who is very near to you in your moments of need. That is your God. And so when he says, uh, the Lord your God, he's using the personal name. The author of Exodus is recounting the giving of the commandment and he's identifying specifically who God is. He is Yahweh, the personal God, who is our God. And how did God become our God? Because he made a covenant with us, because he established a relationship with us. We aren't to keep the Sabbath for some out there transcendent being with which we have no relationship. No, we keep the day set aside to remember because of a very real, a very close, a very relationally connected Yahweh God with whom we have a deep and abiding relationship. That's who God is. He is our God. He knows us and we know him. But it isn't just because of who God is. It's also because of what he's done. In six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth. God is now identified not only as the God who makes covenants and who has relationship with his people, but he's the God who actually makes people and everything else. 
the Lord, Yahweh, the personal, intimate, relationally connected God who made the heavens and the earth. He is the creator of all things. And we can't lose track, by the way, of when these commandments were given. That the author is saying, listen, the Lord, your God, the personal God, the one that created all things, he is the one. He gives these commandments just after the Israelites have been rescued out of slavery. He has saved them. So not only is he the creator God, he is also the savior of his people. And the Sabbath day is a day in which we remember, one, who God is, remembering that he is our God, that he's the one who loves us and who has a relationship with us. And he is also a God who calls us by our name. And Sabbath is the way in which we also remember, too, what God has done, that he is the God who has made the heavens and the earth and all of humanity, and he is the God who rescues and sustains all of us, who upholds us and holds us. Sabbath is a remembrance of who God is and what he has done. And it's necessary for us to remember because it is in our remembering that we are actually able to Sabbath. We're able to cease work. We're able to stop work, to put aside our productivity because we know that there is a God who loves us and who made us and who saves us even when we're not at work. Sabbath serves as a ritual reminder that Sabbath is an ongoing exodus for us. Just as God delivered the Hebrews from slavery in Egypt, and just as Christ delivers us from sin, God's ongoing Sabbath work continues to deliver us from the belief that, any, that if anything in this life is going to happen, it's going to happen because we do it. And Sabbath is a liberation from that for us. God is saying, no, lay that idolatry aside. Remember that I'm the one who made all things, that I'm the one who rescues And one day a week, break the patterns of the world and rest and cease and embrace who I am and what I have done. There's a form of healing that can happen when we remember. Yesterday, Lisa and I, we officiated a wedding of two Christ City folks, uh, Scott Johnson and Kirsten Foster. They said yes, and I do, so celebrate that with them. Weddings are fun for Lisa and I. Um, We uh, we get to meet... um, uh, we get to meet uh, some of your parents uh, when we perform your wedding, which, uh, le- which is really fun. Uh, sort of, we learn a lot about you guys <laughs> when we meet your parents, uh, explain, explain some things. Um, but it also does something else for Lisa and I. Uh, it reminds us of our own wedding vows. It reminds us of who we are to one another and to you and to the Lord. It reminds us of our first love. It reminds us of falling in love and the commitments that we made. Not just the the wedding vows, but the vision that we had for our life together as a couple on mission with God. Now, I know this might surprise some of you, but Lisa and I, we do not have a perfect marriage. Close. Not perfect. We argue sometimes. We hurt each other. We misunderstand. We have hard days. Sometimes we have hard seasons. But one of the things that sustains us is that we remember, is that we retell the story of our love and who we both are individually and together in the Lord. We remember remember the ways that God brought us together, and there's healing in that. Today, uh, we celebrate uh, our one-year anniversary as Christ City Church. 
and our five years as a community of faith together, four years as a parish of the district church. And it's right for us to remember how this church started in living rooms, five blocks from where we're sitting now, with a group of people that were passionate about Christ and passionate about their neighbors and their neighborhood. It's right for us to celebrate that. There's some images. You can, some of you may find yourselves in there and be like, hey, I look good back then. Look good now. <laughs> and as we remember the story of our starting and our origins, there's a healing and a recentering in that story for us. Remembering reminds us of why we started in the first place as a church, how we started. It reminds us where we started. It reminds us of the geography of our beginnings. Yesterday, we had a volunteer training. It included some small group leader training. And in the training, over and over, several of the small group leaders want to ask them, what are your hopes and what are your dreams for this upcoming year as a small group leader? One of the things that they said that they are praying for and hoping for and dreaming about in their small groups is that more people from their immediate neighborhood would begin to come to their group and come to faith. What those small group leaders expressed, what they articulated yesterday, is the very same thing that small groups expressed five and six years ago, before this church was even started. That people in this neighborhood would find community, they would find what it means to follow Jesus, and they would care for this collection of communities that surrounds H Street. There's healing in God's rhythm of remembrance. Space and time carved out to remember who God is and what he's done. But Sabbath isn't just a time where we're to remember and look uh, at things in the past. But Sabbath is also a time when we celebrate. There's a celebration that results from remembrance. When the people of God remember that they have a God who's able to move mountains and part seas and displays his love towards them, then the people celebrate. There's reasons for us to party. That's why we got a cake. And we were like, let's have pies. Some of y'all brought savory pies. Most of y'all brought dessert. It's going to be one massive dessert party after this. <laughs> I'm like, there's one pot pie and like 37 other pies. There's so much of the tension of this, this celebration, this remembering and celebration. This was part of what the tension was that was developing around the Sabbath. And it's actually what Jesus was attempting to, to dismantle in Mark 2. You see, what emerged out of the fourth commandment in the time of Jesus wasn't a pattern of remembering and celebrating, but rather a pattern of rulemaking. What should have sprung from Exodus 20 verses 8 through 11 was a rhythm of healing and of celebration, but instead what grew were endless lists of things that were forbidden. The, the thinking was that if the commandment is that we shouldn't work, then we need to make sure that we know what work is and then just don't do any of those things. And so there were rules about plowing and sowing and reaping, and there were rules about baking and about sowing and about tying and untying, and there were rules about building and then demolishing, and rules about starting a fire and extinguishing a fire, rules about boiling eggs and cutting fingernails and getting haircuts. And it sprung from a good place, but a day that God had set aside for rest and for reflection was seen by those outside of the faith. As one commentator noted, the outsiders, they saw only the negative aspects of Sabbath regulations, and they considered it a dismal or gloomy observance and a sign of laziness. 
And so it's this soul-crushing view of Sabbath that Jesus is discarding and recasting Sabbath in Mark 2 when he says the Sabbath was made for man. It was made for humanity, not humanity for Sabbath. And so the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. What's happening throughout chapter 2 of Mark is Jesus has been, he's actually been violating all of the Sabbath laws is what he's been doing. But he's not violating the fourth commandment, mind you. He's challenging the religious leaders' understanding of how the Sabbath was meant to be kept. Jesus was healing people on the Sabbath. He was feeding people on the Sabbath. And it was those very activities that the leaders of the day took issue with. And Jesus is reminding the people that the Sabbath wasn't intended to be a day of oppression, but rather a day of healing, of freedom, and of celebration. That was God's intention in the beginning. And so the Sabbath wasn't to be a day of fasting, or of sorrow, but of feasting and delight. Most times, the best meal of the week was prepared in advance so that it might be eaten on the Sabbath evening. And it was to be shared with others who were likewise celebrating the Sabbath. The Sabbath was filled with singing and with prayers. And in some Jewish traditions, it was filled with reading and with studying and prayers were encouraged as was taking naps and engaging in marital relations with your spouse. Sabbath was a celebration because of who God is and what he's done for us. And so it triggers celebration. And this pattern, this rhythm of remembering and of celebration, when done together, it actually has a name. It's called worship. We refer to it as worship. When the church gathers, we gather together on Sunday. The purpose of our gathering is to remember the promises of God, to remember who he is and what he's done and the person and the work of Jesus and to celebrate that work in our lives and to celebrate the truth that we're sons and daughters, that we're not many production factories, that we're image bearers, that God so loved that he sent his son so that we might have life. And that's what we're doing today. And that's what we're going to do every Sunday when we gather. Some days we gather when the sun is out and our clothes fit good and our hair looks nice and all is right in the world. And there's other days where we gather and our hearts are heavy. And there are white nationalists rallying in our yard. And it seems as though our country is on fire. And yet still we gather to remember and to celebrate. And our gathering is a protest against the machinery of hate and a balm to the oppressed and an act that reminds all that God is our God and he is the one who made the heavens and the earth. And we can rest in him and trust in him on this day that he has set aside in the context of community of others that are looking to the one in whom all of our hope hangs. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, you are 
the God of our days and our nights. You are the God of our hearts and our lives. You are the God of our moments. You are the Lord that occupies the space between us. That you are very near and very present to us even in this morning. That you occupy the spaces between our words. You occupy the groans when our words fail us. That you are with us and near us because you are the maker of the heavens and earth. You are the one that rescued us, that moved mountains and parted seas. God, you intended for Sabbath to be a day of rest and remembrance and celebration, a day of healing and a day of liberation, a day in which we remember all that you have done and all of who you are and that we anchor again and root our identities in you. Lord, there are um, all kinds of fields that have walked in this room because there's all kinds of folks that walked in here. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would meet each and every one the things that, that we've sung or that we've prayed, it's, it's, been, it's, it's been a comfort for some. It's been a challenge for others. It's been lacking for others. But Lord, you, you don't disappoint. And so Spirit, I pray that even in this moment, that whatever it is that we have needed from you as your children, God, that you would respond. That you would meet us where we are. That you would minister to us where we are. And Lord, that the presence of your spirit would wash over us and provide for whatever it is that we need in this moment. For some, Lord, we have clung too tightly to the idol of our work and of our productivity. Our identities are too bound up in our vocational and career direction. And we need to loosen our grip of that so that you can take up space. Others this room. Your hearts are heavy. And what's taking place in our city reminds them of what took place a year ago. Their sisters and brothers, their friends in this room that, that were in Charlottesville. God, I pray that you would minister, that you would meet them. God, for all of us as a church, I pray that we would set about the work of seeing your kingdom come. That we would pray, that we would work, that we would protest, that we would invest. We don't have to go far. But God, we do have to work hard with you. Spirit, I pray that you would move, that you would speak to us, that you would guide us. I pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.